Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, buddy. If you don't mind if I plug my Movember page real quick. Please do. I am growing a mustache Mm -hmm. uh, this month for Movember for for cancer research. Yeah. Specifically... uh, Male prostate cancer research. That's right. And you can donate to my team, which would be pretty cool. Because, you know, you get a free podcast, and it would be nice to throw a little money toward cancer research. Yeah. In Chuck's the name of being, my stash. Chuck's being nice here. Give him some money. He's growing out <laughs> facial hair to help a, a, a charitable organization engage in really important scientific research. That's right. And you can go to mobro.co slash Charles Bryant. Uh-huh. And that is my page. Or... Just go to the Movember site, type in Charles Bryan in the search bar, and look for the picture of me. There's only a couple of us out there. Chuck's wearing a red shirt. That's right. Yeah. Um, so uh, what is that again? That's mobro.co slash Charles Bryant. Yes. Thank you in advance. Yeah. That's nice, Chuck. All right. Let's get to it. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. Um, I'm an MC of sorts. Not the cool kind, the boring kind. Uh, with me, as always, is MC Charles W. Chuck Bryant. He's the same kind of MC that I am. Sucker MC? No, no. Uh, not even. Okay. We're not even sucker MCs. <laughs> We're too square for that even. So sad. Maybe sucker MCs, but certainly not with an A. Yeah, I'm a sucker. Right, MC. Yeah. Too square to be a sucker. That is a t-shirt. Well, I'll bet it is now. Number two, the square shape. Uh-huh. Number two, the letter B. Or two squared, two with the, two to the second power. Oh, too squared to be a sucker. Yeah. No, that's it. Yep. You pretty. We've reached the point where you say stuff and people make t-shirts <laughs> of it. One of these, though, we're going to hit it rich and we can quit this whole podcast and game, retire on our Never. t-shirt fortune. Never. We'll be rich old men podcasting still. If only. Uh, hey, Chuck. Hey. Are you doing well? Yeah. You know, I think um, I remembered that you actually have done this before, what we're about to talk about. I have. Um, and... Uh, you had a good time, didn't you? Yeah, I'll be offering my personal insights along the way. Good. I was hoping so. That's what I was getting at. Yeah. Um, hey, so I read this article in Slate. It's called America's Ancient Cave Art. Ooh. And uh, back in the late 70s, there were a couple of friends who worked for the U.S. Forestry Service and I think, Tennessee. And um, they were running around um, the forest, and they found a cave, and they started to explore it. And they went into it, and they noticed, like, there were all these weird, like, scratches on the wall and when they looked a little closer like wait that's not a scratch that's a snake with horns and mm-hmm. that's a, a bird that like is tearing the head off of something else and one of them luckily realized that these are all images associated with what's called the southeastern ceremonial complex uh-huh. or more coolly named the southern death cult uh, yeah which sprung up around the southeastern united states Inexplicably, about 1,200 years ago, there was like this, um, what, what the author of the article called a religious outbreak, uh-huh. that they have no idea where it came from. Hmm. But um, the weird thing about this is that they these, these um, drawings were completely preserved. Like you could still smear the charcoal. Oh, wow. Um, they, uh, and even though they were anywhere from 500 and then they found some others that are up to like 6,000 years old Jeez. and they're all in this enormous elaborate cave system mm-hmm. in the Southeastern United States, specifically the Cumberland Plateau in Tennessee. Yeah. Um, but what's most remarkable aside from their preservation is that some of these are like a mile into the cave. Wow. 
So some of the uh, Mississippian people mm-hmm. were running around, walking a mile into a cave to like leave this art, and it was perfectly preserved. That's pretty cool. Even though almost every other trace of this um, religious outbreak, the Southern Death Cult, mm-hmm. is just gone. Isn't that cool? That's awesome. So uh, I bring that up because that is one of the big reasons that people go caving, which ultimately is entering a cave. Once you walk into a cave, (laughs) you're caving, right? Yeah, I think so. Uh, Wasn't Southern Death Cult the original name of the cult, the band? Yes, it was. And they changed it? Yep. Southern Death Cult so much better. Yeah, it's great. Oh, well. I mean, it's one of the coolest names anyone's ever come up with. And it's an archaeological term. Yeah, so it's got... You know, academic meaning as well. Right. All right. Well, aside from the poor name change, I like the band. Yeah, it's a good band. I used to. They're you don't around. like them anymore? Well, I mean, it's just that sort of represented like high school to me oh. and early college. They still hold up. Yeah, it's not like I don't like it. I gotcha. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Billy Duffy plays a mean guitar. All right. So, <laughs> spelunking, should we go ahead and get this out of the way? That's, that's another word for caving. But um, Wasn't there an Atari game named Spelunker? I think so. Uh, but cavers don't really use that term a lot. They use it derogatorily. Yeah. I think that is the case. I'm trying to remember because I went caving, like you said. Right. Go ahead and set that up for the rest of the show with yeah. my former neighbor, um, who was a fan of the show. <laughs> Your former neighbor? Did you guys have a spat? <laughs> yeah. We don't talk anymore. <laughs> I refuse to acknowledge his presence. <laughs> right. No, he moved. Oh, gotcha. Um, That's but, the other way that happened. Yeah, yeah. He um, he lived across the street and um, left a letter in my mailbox one day and was like, hey, dude, I heard you mention, it might have been after the biospeleology, right. which we'll touch on again, said, I'm an experienced caver. Me and my buddy would love to take you. And you guys, too. You and Yeah, you. yeah. We were invited. Originally, well. it was all four of us, mm-hmm. and it ended up being just me. Right. The day <laughs> came, I was like, let's see. Crawl around in the cold in a cave, get wet and muddy. I'm going to stay home. Boy, after I did it, I was like, I'm so glad Emily and Yumi and Josh didn't come. (laughs) You guys wouldn't have liked it. Yeah, there's a good picture of you on Facebook where you're covered in mud. Yeah, I'll I'll post more pictures when this comes out. Okay. But, um, yeah, I'll touch on it as we go. But the first thing I want to point out is that a cave can be a thing that you picture when you picture a cave, which is Mm -hmm. like you're walking along and there's a big, huge entrance that you're looking at and you walk in. Or, in this case, it can be a little hole in the ground. Yeah. Which is when I walked by, I was like, that, that's where we're going? And he was <laughs> like, yeah. I was like, really? It's like a two-foot little hole in the ground. Yeah, it looked like um, maybe a place where foxes live or something. Yeah, and he's like, nope, that's how you get in there. I was like, okay. And you're like, that's how you get in there, pal. <laughs> but it ended up being, aside from the, the most physically challenging thing I've ever done, one of the coolest things I've done. Yeah. It was very difficult but you i mean you nail it on the head a cave is basically any opening from the surface below ground yeah into the earth right and um for the most part when we think of a cave it's part of something called a karst landscape uh which is characterized by like sinkholes underground aquifers yeah um subterranean drainage Mm -hmm. caves a cave system that's part that's it's technically called a karst landscape yeah and well, once you read that, you kind of take it for granted. But if you never really thought about it, I hadn't never thought about it. I was like, well, why are these caves even here? Right. You know, someone didn't come in here and carve these out. No, but some natural processes did. That's right. There's actually um, four main ways that caves are created, right? Yeah, most caves um, are limestone caves. Uh, and you get those when rainwater uh, seeps down through the soil, mm-hmm. picks up some CO2 along the way. 
and that forms uh, carbonic acid, which is kind of weak. It is, but if you uh, if you have carbo- carbonic acid present in the same area for eons, yeah, it's going to eventually eat away at even stone. Yeah, like limestone, and that's basically what happens. It either collects there for a long time, mm-hmm. or is um, rushed in there by rain. Yeah, and uh, corrosion. Yeah, is what happens. It's erosion through abrasion. Through abrasion, just basically rainwater running over something long enough, it's going to erode it. And that is how you get a cave, one way. Yeah, that's the that's the main way, I yeah. think. Um, you've got uh, extremophiles. Yeah, this is kind of cool. We're, st- we're starting to realize, you know, I think we talked about them in the Are We All Martians episode. Yeah, we have an article on extremophiles that I have earmarked for us. Okay. That's pretty good. Um, they are basically bacteria that live and thrive in um, toxic environments. Yeah, like places where nothing else lives. Right. High sulfuric content or really high temperatures or really, mm. really low temperatures. Or just uh, Yeah, they're the only things that live there. Um, and they are starting to realize that they have a pretty big impact on cave formation. For example, there's some that um, like to eat oil underground. I never knew this. And they eat and eat and then they shoot ducks. <laughs> of uh, sulfide gas, right? And the sulfide gas goes up and up and up as gas wants to do. Yeah. And uh, it travels through um, the through groundwater, yeah. picks up oxygen, and becomes sulfuric acid. And that really starts to eat away at caves. Yeah, that's probably more so, I think, than carbonic. Sure. Yeah, which is you probably want to look out for the sulfuric acid lake in a cave system if you're ever caving. I would say so. Yeah. Uh, so that's number two. Um Sea, sea caves, you, you'll see a lot. Um, if you ever do sea kayaking and stuff around an island, yeah. you might venture into a sea cave. It's pretty cool. Um, they are basically just water pounding away at these seaside cliffs uh, to the point where they form caves. Yeah. Pretty easy. Yeah. Did you ever see The Orphanage, the Guillermo del Toro movie? No. Dude, you've not seen that? I almost watched it last week. That is one of the best ghost movies ever made. Yeah, I was by myself, and I wanted to watch something scary because it was Halloween. Oh, dude, that's it. And I I searched around on the internet for, like, what's a really good scary movie, not some crappy scary yeah. movie. Yeah. And that was on the list, and I ended up searching and researching for so long, I didn't watch anything. <laughs> I went to sleep. You should have asked me. Or go on to the social medias. Like, I did yeah, that once. I was I looking for some that. scary movies. And got into a conversation with Joe Randazzo and like a couple other people and ended up with this list of like great horror movies and all of them panned out awesomely. Yeah. House I need of to the watch Devil, that. have you seen that? No. Dude, I, that was another one recommended. But I love Del Toro niche. too. Dude, it is. Is it this is, like the Spanish Civil War era or uh, orphanage? No, no, no. That's, um, oh, what is that one called? I, I know the one you're talking about. Devil's that's, Backbone. Yes. I saw that one. That's okay. Compared to the orphanage, it it might as well have been like Pee Wee's Playhouse. Hey, I like Pee Wee. No, I mean as far as light fair goes. Uh yeah. Okay. It, All right. It's just so much better. I'm watching it. Yeah. And week. and watch House of the Devil too. It's pretty good. All right. I think you'll like that a lot. Yeah, I don't. I like good scary. I don't like all that uh, crappy uh, saw like stuff. You know, like shocking torture porn crap. I liked the first couple saws. Yeah. All right. So that's the third way that caves are. <laughs> Well, that was a good one. The fourth um, is lava tubes. You know, when lava comes up through a volcano uh-huh. uh, and it shoots up, if the conditions are right, the outer part will cool more quickly than the creamy, gooey middle. Yeah. 
Uh, and th- when that happens, uh, that outer shell will come together and form this uh, coherent crust, and the stuff in the middle might fall back down, right? You got yourself a tube. You have a tube of lava. Now, if at the top of this, that, that top caves in or crumbles, all of a sudden you have an entrance, and now the lava tube is now a cave. Because, again, cave is any entry from the above ground mm-hmm. to hell. <laughs> I imagine the lava tube caves are pretty interesting to explore. Yeah. But I'm a limestone guy. Well, I mean, you don't spend much time in Hawaii. If you did, I'll bet you'd be a lava tube guy, too. Yeah, you're probably right. All right, so once you're in the cave, uh, you're going to notice a couple of things straight away. Um, stalactites and stalagmites. Okay, which is which, man? I feel like so we easy. have a golden opportunity here to explain this to thousands and thousands and hundreds of thousands of people. It's very easy. There's a lot of little ways you can remember. Maybe um, millions of people. Stalactites, and that is with a C, uh, are the ones that hang down. And you can remember that by maybe hold on tight. Stalactite, they got to hold on tight. Yeah, because it's not stalactite and stalactite or stalactite. Might and stalagmite. It's stalactite. Yeah, with a C and, and then stalagmite with a G. And an M. So that helps too because you have C for ceiling or G for ground. Great. There you just did it. <laughs> or T for top, if that helps you. We, we gave you three ways to remember this. I don't think that we we're, I don't, I think I messed it up. This was so simple for a second and then I, I'm sorry, everyone. <laughs> so stalactites. Uh, hang down, stalagmites come up from the bottom. Yeah. Uh, they are speleotherms, uh, which is a cave formation. Yeah. And uh, this happens when um, carbonic acid eats away at this limestone and it starts dripping uh, the calcite mineral yeah, fr- so from like, rainwater. Yeah, it's just kind of trickling in and it just over drips. centuries. Yeah, and as it is, it's depositing that calcite, right? Yeah, so it drips down from the top, so it forms, and then it will, you know, not drip up, but collect and form up from the bottom. Sometimes they'll meet and form a column, which is really cool. Yeah, it is. But these things grow at a rate of a quarter inch to an inch per century. Wow. So you can't sit around and watch a stalactite form. Yeah. That's basically the rule of thumb. So the rainwater comes down and drips down, and whatever deposits are at the top going down is a stalactite. That's right. And it drips down under the ground and builds a formation that grows up towards the top. Yes, that's a stalagmite. And that's why you usually find them together. And stalacine is actually the Greek uh, derivative, and it means to drip. Really? So there you have it. That's great, man. And uh, they did mention, I looked these up because I'd never seen them, um, other uh, speleotherms like fried eggs and bacon. Uh-huh. Did you look these up? No. It's pretty neat. It looks like a fried egg. It's this I think I've formation. Seen that. Yeah, it looks like a. You know, it's it's large and round and has a center that's very round as well. Yeah. And then the bacon stuff, it looks like bacon strips. It's like, you know, these little strip-like formations that have uh, different colored patterns that mm-hmm. look like, you know, the, the fatty part of the bacon or the meaty part. Right. And it looks like fried eggs and bacon. So. I feel like I saw the fried egg one before. Yeah, you probably have. When I saw it, I was like, oh, that's what that is. Oh, fried eggs and bacon. <laughs> I had to see it because the, the, the name wasn't. Descriptive enough. Yeah, and that's just, this just proves that speleologists are fun-loving people. Right. So uh, while you're in the cave, you're probably going to run into certain kinds of animals. And as speleologists love to do, they've classified these things into categories, right? Yeah, we talked about these in biospeleology. Right. The creepy cave-dwelling things. Yeah, if you haven't heard that um, 
episode, go check it out. It's all about caves and the stuff living in caves. Yeah. It's really cool. Um, but the uh, troglozines, those are temporary visitors, like a bear maybe hibernating in a cave. It's They live most of their life outside of the cave and come in for shelter or food or sure. something like that. Yeah. Then there's uh, troglophiles. That means they love the trog. They do. They spend most of their life there. Right. But they will come out some. For food. Yeah. But they spend most of their lives in the cave, right? Yeah. Salamanders, crickets, uh, daddy long legs. Da- yeah. Daddy long legs and other spiders. Love them. And then there's the troglobites. Yeah. Those are ones who live their entire lives within the dark zone of the cave. And usually they don't have eyes. And apparently, without exception, they're all blind. Yeah. Like the Prometheus salamander. Yeah, I remember that thing. Uh, the Ozark blind salamander, the tooth cave spider, which isn't as creepy looking as it sounds. No. I expected to see, like, you know, some something out of a like B movie. But it was just like a little skinny spider. Oh, okay. But if you name something the tooth cave spider, you right. expect some, like, really scary looking thing. Yeah. Or something with glasses and huge buck teeth. <laughs> yeah. Uh, same with the tooth cave beetle. Uh, and, they're, and they're also blind fish and shrimp and... All manner of little white, creepy creatures. Yeah. They lack pigment because they don't need it. Yeah. Like, screw pigment. What do we need that for? Um, and then I, I this kind of stuck out to me, the idea that it's always the average annual temperature of the surface above a cave, within the cave. Yeah. So if it's the average temperature over the course of an entire year in the spot above a cave is 65 degrees, it's always 65 degrees in the cave. Not true. Oh, that's not true. No, so this this the the temperatures in a cave are very very stable, um, but you know depending on it, how how deep it is, the closer you get to the center of the earth, the warmer it gets. Mm-hmm. So that has an effect, and just like above ground with uh, the sun warming um, the surface differently mm-hmm. causes weather. Different amounts of heat in uh, inside a cave cause wh- what we wouldn't recognize as weather, but actual weather itself. So is this wrong? Yes. The way it's stated? It's always the average annual temperature, yeah. But generally it is. Yeah, it's usually very stable, and it's very close okay. to that. But we're finding now that there is actual weather that happens in a cave. Just All like right. there, we found out there's seasons on the bottom of the sea right. floor. Like the, It seems like the same thing to us, but there's actually like seasons and changes that we, don't, we didn't recognize because we cool. don't think of it that way. Yeah. Uh, caves... Um, Sometimes can be dry and dusty. Mm-hmm. I guess it all depends on where you are in the country. Um, the one I went to, and like many caves, are wet and muddy. And I was not expecting that. I was not expecting a lot of what I encountered, actually. Really? You weren't, were you prepared for a wet muddy? Oh, yeah. I mean, okay. they, they told me what to wear, and we'll get into all that stuff. But um, I, I just, I don't know. I thought I was going to be walking into a thing mm-hmm. and then walking around, sort of like the, the kid caves that right. you can take the whole family to. Right. But, um, yeah, it wasn't like that at all. It was being dropped into a muddy, wet, cold hell. <laughs> yeah. And you looked like it, too, man, afterward. Yeah, I was You looked up. like you were really glad to be topside again. It was weird coming out, I'll say that. So wh- why did you go? Why would anybody go? What's the allure of caving? Uh, the unknown and the thrill of discovery. Oh, yes. <laughs> well, it's true, though. That's what the article says. But I don't mean to be glib. It is very cool and way different down there like mm-hmm. you get a sense that it is it is not the same topside as it is 
in the bowels of the earth. Mm-hmm. Very different place and very cool to experience. Yeah, firsthand. And as we mentioned, there's a lot of uh, good opportunity for cave archaeology because the climate and temperature in a cave is so stable. Things are things left in caves are really really well preserved. Yeah, and you know the the caves were a good place for ancient rituals and things. And um, they mentioned the the cave art in France. Yeah, and let's go. Have you seen this stuff? Yeah. Holy cow. It's like, it looks like artwork painted on canvas. Some of it does. It's not like, you know, just scratchy cave drawings. Like, this stuff is really beautiful. Yeah. And uh, they found this um, in 1940. They discovered this in France from the Paleolithic era, mm-hmm. uh, 17 to 20,000 years old, and over 2,000 figures drawn. And it's like, from what I understand, like the granddaddy of all cave drawing scores. Yeah. Was here in France. Yeah. Um, here in France. There in France. Well, there's also another one called Chauvet Cave oh, yeah? in France, and that's what um, Werner Herzog's Cave of Forgotten Dreams is. Oh, I never saw in. that. Oh, you didn't? I'll watch anything that he's in, though. Yeah. Or narrates, at yeah. least. Oh, he does so much <laughs> narrating. He's a bad guy in, in... Is it the new Bond? No. Is that right? No, he's a bad guy in some movie coming up, and I was like, oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. Like, no one sounds more diabolical than Werner Herzog. Yeah, it's perfect. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, it's, that's a good one too. And I think they shot it in 3D as well. It's supposed to be like really good. Oh, wow. Um, but yeah, check that one out. It's, it's very interesting because they figure out that, um, they're like, why, why would these idiots draw a bison with eight legs? Was there an eight legged bison back then? And then somebody figured out that if you look at it by, to- by torch light, uh-huh. not electric torch, but real fire torch. Does it move? It moves. Oh my God. That is so cool. Yeah. Wow. That's yeah. awesome. Uh, yeah, I highly recommend you guys go and Google image these. Um, L-A-S-C-A-U-X, France. Mm-hmm. And it's all over the place. And what was the other one? Chauvet, C-H-U-V-E-T. Yeah, very cool stuff. And see Cave of Forgotten Dreams if you're into that. I mean, it's a lot of cattle drawings, granted. But, um, <laughs> you know, it's better than you would think. You're right. Considering they're doing this on a cave 20,000 years ago. Exactly. All right. Uh, there's also biospeleology, which we talked about at length and we don't need to really get into here. Again, right. go listen to the biospeleology episode, but that's another reason people go through caves. But ultimately I think like the first sentence was the right one. It's like the thrill of discovery and yeah. the unknown. Yeah. There's so few people doing any actual caving and enough caves out there yeah. that like you got a pretty good shot of finding something that no one else has seen for 10,000 years or maybe ever. Yeah. You know? That's pretty cool. Uh, and cavers, too, um, part of being a, a caver or a speleologist is being into conservation and preservation. And that's one thing I learned from uh, my buddy Eric and his friend. There there were, like, casual spelunkers that were in there, clearly didn't know what they were doing, mm-hmm. weren't dressed for it, mm-hmm. didn't have the proper equipment. And, of course, these guys are just like, these are the people that get us in trouble mm-hmm. or that get in trouble that we need to come help right. get out of trouble. Uh, but I think serious cavers are uniformly way into the preserving the cave. Sure. Like, they don't just go and cave and like, yeah, that was cool. Like, they're all into the meetings and the preservation. A lot of them do the volunteer for search and rescue and stuff like that. Like, they really get into it. Yeah. It's not um, a casual affair. No, and I, that, that, that idea actually extends to, um, urban spelunking or urban exploration. Yeah. Um, Which where, we've covered. Yeah, where you um, you enter something like a sewer system or 
an abandoned building or something like that. But you, one of the big rules is like you can't break and enter. You can enter if somebody else has already like cut a hole in the chain link fence. You can right. go through that hole, but you can't cut that hole yourself, and you don't take anything. Right. You you preserve the place exactly the way it was. And we actually have I think what's a new article on the site that is awesome. Uh, ten top ten cities for urban exploration. Oh yeah, it's like got all these attractions of like where to go in the city and like oh, cool. how, what to explore. It's very cool. Well, Francis, the catacombs I know are really popular. Yeah, um, and I did a little bit of that in Florida in um, Fort Pickens in Pensacola. Oh, the Fort Pickens catacombs. <laughs> well, the Fort Pickens battery. It was like you know Civil War battery. Oh yeah. Yeah, and um, I think it's all blocked off now. But at the time, like the metal bars were bent enough where you could get through. And me and my brother and my brother-in-law like made torches and like went all through the awesome. stuff. Awesome. What did you cool. find? You know, stuff written on the walls like from the Civil War, and then stuff written on the walls clearly more modern, right? Uh, in nature, right? <laughs> but just graffiti and stuff and beer cans. Yeah. But it was just neat walking around. Yeah, that's cool. Um, what else, Chuck? How to get started? Yeah, I guess if this podcast tickles your fancy, then you may want to know how to get into this. Yeah, a lot of people might be into the very easy, guided, you walk in and you walk around type of experience. Right. Take the kids. There's nothing wrong with it. You can still learn a lot. You know, it's not a cop out. Like Carlsbad Caverns and like the real touristy ones. They're great. Yeah. Have you ever been there? I haven't been there. I've been to uh, Ruby Falls. You mean I went? Yeah. Ruby Falls is nice. It was. Yeah. And there was plenty of people running around. It was very well lit. Yeah. Um, Safe. Uh, yeah, and then but it was so awesome getting to the falls. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like it was great. Like, it was a total. I think part of the reason it, well, I appreciated it so much because I I took it for what it was. It was like mm. this a, this is tourism, you know. Yeah. But it's also very cool. Yeah. I mean, you're walking underneath a fault line in the earth. Yeah. It's really kind of. You cool. can sell T-shirts afterward, but it's still very cool to be in there. Exactly. Um. So you can do that. You can go to these like really big touristy ones and still get a nice experience or you can get a guided tour for uh you know a little more um intense experience have you been in carlsbad cavern yeah okay yeah it's nice is it it's lovely there's like red carpet everywhere yeah it's just couches every Massage chairs <laughs> um but they do mention in this article that kids are great to take into caves they love mm-hmm. that kind of stuff obviously you want to keep an eye on them uh because it's pretty easy to get lost in there yeah but at these at these big major attractions, they 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 take care of you, you know. Right. They're not gonna let your kid go off and live with the salamanders. Yeah, and you've got a guide for the guided tour. Yeah. But even self guided tours, it's usually like paved or a clearly marked trail. Like you're you're gonna have a lot of trouble getting lost if you get off of this trail. Yeah. Um, or if you stay on the trail, I should say. Yeah, I went to a concert in a cave one time. Really? Yeah, in Tennessee, they oh man, what's the name of it? Something caverns. I can't remember now, but it was uh, the Silver Jews played their last show ever in this cave. Oh, yeah. And they have regular shows there. Like, usually it's like bluegrass and stuff. Mm -hmm. But it's awesome. Like, you you know, you park in this big field, and then it's one of these where you walk into a huge opening, Mm -hmm. and there's big paths. But, you know, you walk like probably half a mile down in there, and then it opens up to this huge open room, and there's a stage, and there's lights, and... Everything. Wow, that's it's cool. Really cool experience. I wonder what the green room's like there. I don't know. It's probably brown. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Just sit on that rock. I won't bring you some shrimp. Yeah, it was really very cool show though. I might post pictures of that too. Okay. Wow, yeah. this is going to be a picture bonanza. <laughs> um, 
then there's cave diving. Yes, probably the most dangerous thing a, a person can do. Yeah. We can't overstate that enough. Like, even these caver dudes that I was with that are hardcore, they were like, those people are crazy. Yeah, and if you're a hardcore scuba diver, even a wreck diver, that doesn't mean you're a cave diver. No. Cave diver is its own thing. Yeah. And, like, it's it's very easy to die. In 2012, seven people already died in uh, cave diving. In incidents. 2012 now? Wow. Three of them in three different days, three consecutive days in Florida, in three different incidents. Yeah. In March. Yeah, it's scary. And I asked Eric, I was like, well, why, you know, what's the big deal? And he was like, dude, you're just, you got to be crazy to do it. And he's like, you are underground, mm-hmm. underwater. Right. And it's very easy to get lost and turned around and you've only got so much air. They say that to never, like, to try and exit with half a tank of air still. Yeah. Or whatever. It was not air. What is it? It's compressed air. Okay, compressed air. There's like an air mix, but it's generally air. Yeah, but they're like, you don't want to go below half a tank ever. Yeah. That's just scary. I'm sure. And um, he took me, after we went caving, he took me to the entry point for the cave diving nearby. And it's this little, probably, you know, 10 foot by 10 foot hole, of, you know, little pool. Mm-hmm. But it's like infinitely deep. Right. And it's like, wow. So you can jump in and just sort of waddle around. Or there's, below that, there's the tube. Right. Where you enter, and it just seemed like and, the scariest thing ever. Right. With a tank of air on your back that could be <laughs> punctured by anything. Yeah. Because it's not like there's not stalactites hanging down. Yeah, it's utterly frightening to me. Um, that said, if you're into cave diving and you go through the certification and you like are into that kind of thing, there's some awesome cave diving. Like cenotes, any cenotes? Yeah, yeah. Um, and there's a place in that I missed when we were talking about the Abandoned Mines podcast, <clears throat> there's a place called Bon Terre Mine in uh-huh. Missouri. And it's an old lead mine that was uh, in production for like 100 years. And then they closed it down in 1960. And they didn't remove anything. There's like magazines, all this stuff oh, just wow. still sitting around. And they flooded it with like a billion gallons of crystal clear water. Really? And you can go scuba dive. You can cave dive this abandoned mine now. Wow. And see, there's like an old movie theater down there. Really? There's mine cars, <laughs> the elevators. Yeah, it's pretty cool. That's awesome. Yeah, but it's like the visibility is just limitless. Wow. Yeah. I wonder if that's slightly safer. Uh, I think it's pretty heavily guided as oh, far yeah. as tours go. So if you're going to start somewhere, that would probably be a good place. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I saw a couple of dudes come out of the hole. Um, and the, all the cavers know each other, it seems like, because they knew I'll these bet. guys. Yeah. And they were like, oh, yeah, it's good. You know, these guys are real nice. And then they turned around, they are like, they're nuts. Yeah. <laughs> these guys are crazy. Yeah. Um, oh, so all the cavers know each other because they're all members of grottos, right? Yeah, it definitely seems like a close-knit community. Right. Like they're all on each other, have each other's contact info because, you know, when someone gets lost, they send out, you know, like who can come and help, basically. Right. Who's free tomorrow. Right. To come and find these idiots. Tomorrow. They're in trouble if it's tomorrow. Yeah, that's true. But, uh, well, a grotto's a, a caving club, right? And there, any legitimate caving club is sanctioned by the uh, National Speleological Society. And there's about 200 caving clubs or grottos in the U.S. Nice. Good people. <laughs> so if, if you're a member of a grotto, if you're a caver... What are some of the things that you're going to need? You're already into this. You're like, come on, let's go. What are we going to do? What, what do I need to take with me? Uh, well, you want to take three forms of light um, and plenty of backup batteries and 
Uh, take glow sticks, take the headlamps, take lighters, even though those will get wet. Um, you know, you can bag them in the dry bag, but take as many forms of light as you feel comfortable with that's right. not less than three. And not only like, that, I took like four or five lights. That's smart. Yeah, I just, and I knew I was going to be fine, but I was just like, you know what? I'm going into the depths of the earth. I want to have lots of light at my disposal. Right. And you want to also have lots of batteries and extra bulbs for those light sources? Yeah, sure. Just because the light, your light is the number one most important thing when you're caving. That's the number one most important piece of equipment. Yeah. And my buddy, uh, Eric, had a carbide lamp, uh-huh. which, um, you know, back in the day, when like even car headlights and lights on the fronts of houses, um, it wasn't always a gas lamp. Sometimes it was carbide. And old school cavers use these things. And it's basically a chemical reaction. Um, it burns acetylene mm-hmm. gas, and it's created from a reaction of calcium carbide with water. So he had this uh, this pod that he carried on his belt that had carbide pellets in it, mm-hmm. and it would drip water down and create the gas, and it fed it up through a tube connected to the you know, the, the gas lamp mm-hmm. that he's wearing on his head. Wow. And it was really cool. The other guy didn't have one, but Eric was used it. And um, the light that it gives is just really very illuminating. It's not like a, you know, how incandescent light is just so specific, mm-hmm. even if it's a, like a broad range. It's not like having a, a flame. Right. So this thing really war- like warms up the cave. And it does actually warm it um, slightly, but just generally with light warmth. Right. It's just like the, the cave was illuminated, not like a flashlight shining on something. Right. Very cool. Nice. And um, very durable. Like if you take care of these things, they're a little finicky, but if you take yeah. care of them, you can have them like your whole life. It sounds kind of newfangled. Uh, no, it's very old school. Well, old-fangled. Yeah, it's old-fangled. Yeah. And you just look cool. Eric looked like a cool guy with this tube running out of his head and <laughs> flicking the little uh, lighter switch, and he looked co- cooler than I did Right. with my... Uh, Pencil. Glow stick. Yeah, with my glow stick. Um, so you need light. You need light. You need a helmet. And you want your helmet to be certified by the Union Internationale des Associations del Pis... Me. <laughs> yes. Jerry just laughed at me. <laughs> you want a helmet. You want, like... And this is if you if you want to do it right, like, and safely. We, we saw morons in <clears throat> tank tops and shorts walking around Jeez. and crawling around. And... You know, these guys were just rolling their eyes. They're like, those are the people that get hurt and get lost. Right. Um, we had knee pads and elbow pads, helmets. Um, and as far as safety gear, that was pretty much it. And they had like rope and stuff just in case. Um, and you want to dress appropriately. Mm-hmm. In avoid, layers. Avoid cotton. Well, if you are wearing cotton, you want to wear under layers of synthetics. Yes. Yeah. Snag less easily. They dry more quickly. Yeah. Yeah, I would imagine you just want to avoid cotton altogether if possible. Yeah, I wore one of those like uh, synthetic wicking shirts, yeah. you know, like yeah. the, the workout shirts. Yeah, um, but you do, you want to dress in layers because it's cold in there. Yeah. But, you know, you, you may raise your heart rate here or there and yeah. you may get a little warm. I definitely raise my heart rate. Yeah. Um, you're going to get wet most likely. Mm-hmm. Um, you can be in a dry, dusty cave, but chances are you're going to get wet. Uh, there were times where we were up to our chest in a crevice about two feet wide, mm-hmm. up to our chest in water, and it's intimidating. It's like I am far away from anybody, and like what if this water rises? I mean, it didn't, but, you know, what if it started raining? These things can happen pretty fast down there. Right. 
And uh, so, I mean, we were literally soaked to the bone. It's like getting in a swimming pool. And then you get out and you're covered in mud and you're supposed to climb things. That's like climbing a, a greased wall of stone. I'm like, am I supposed to really do this? Right. And they were like pushing me by my butt. It was sort of embarrassing, like pulling me. <laughs> it felt like a stuck pig at times. The only thing that made it better was the warm glow of the carbide <laughs> lamp. And then they had the pancakes, you know, where it's like, you know, as I'm surprised my body fit in this thing. And you had to go like 30 feet across this pancake. What is it? Well, it's a, it's where there's a top rock and a bottom rock. Uh-huh. So basically you just, Oh, gotcha. There's like a foot of space to crawl through, and you, you can't even crawl. You're like inching, you know, using your shoulder blades. I would have lost my mind. <laughs> you would not have liked this pancake. It, uh, that, and that's when I remembered thinking, boy, Josh would not have liked this part. <laughs> no. It was uncomfortable for me. I and I don't even have really issues with out. like, you know, closed in spaces. But you feel like, what if the earth shifted it and this thing just smashed me? Yeah. Of course, the earth doesn't shift like that, but I don't know. It could. I'm down there. I'm freaking out. Yeah. And you made it, though. Yeah. That's, I, made it. I don't want to spoil it. Yeah. You, you survived. Uh, what else you need? Food, Food and water. Food and water, yeah. Sure. You want uh, enough to last your whole trip and then some, just in case, you know? Like, uh, you want gloves? You want a first aid kit? Yeah. And here's my favorite part. So we were talking about how, um, like, you do, you just preserve the environment exactly as it was found. This also means that you're not allowed to poop there. You yeah. can poop there, but you're going to poop into like a, a plastic container yeah. that you can carry out with you because you take your urine and your feces out of the cave with you. So you want a plastic bottle to pee into and a like a good crush-proof container to <laughs> poop into. I did not poop. I wouldn't have pooped. I'd just be like, well, I guess I'm not pooping today. Yeah, and you know, I was only down there a few hours, so if you, can, if, if you can't hold your poop a few hours, you probably shouldn't be caving that day. Man. Just put it off, you know? Imagine getting sick down there. Oh, like vomity? No. I'm not sure what you mean. The other kind. Oh, like poopy sick? Yeah. Yeah, that would be awful. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> if you have a cave map, which you should have, um, bring a few copies. Put them in Ziplocs. Hand them out to your friends that you're with. Make uh, sure everyone knows what's going on. Right. And you also want to probably leave one at home with an X marks the spot of your route. Sure. And, um, well, that leads us to cave safety, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, There's a lot of precautions you should be taking before you set out. Yeah, know what you're doing. Do not take it lightly. It's not like a hike um, that you can go on. So it, it's definitely different. You should go with someone that knows what they're doing um, at the very least. Uh, a couple of people would be even better. Um, they say not to go in really large groups because yeah. you don't want it, like you could leave someone behind easier. Yeah. Like four to six people. Right. Is, is a good number. And you want to put the slowest person at the front of the group. That would have been me. So everybody's <laughs> kind of pushing them from behind, sometimes literally. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the reason why is because, you know, that person doesn't get left behind. It makes the whole group stick together. Yeah. And if you're into um, passive aggressive peer pressure, that's great. That's a great situation for everybody. <laughs> yeah. You know? Uh, no, you're fine. I know. Fine. That's what they kept saying, too. They're like, oh, you're doing great, buddy. And I was like, no, I'm not. <laughs> I know I'm that guy. Um, you also never, ever want to go caving alone. I don't think there's a better sentence that's ever been spoken by anybody. <laughs> never go caving alone. That's a good idea. Um, 
if you do get lost, they say to stay put and that it's better to stay put instead of moving around because at least you're where you last were. Right. You are where you last were. Well, you're where you said you were going to be. Yeah, at least. Roughly. If your light goes out and you're alone. Start so. screaming at the top of your lungs <laughs> until someone comes and gets you. That's probably not a bad idea. But they say not to freak out. But, yeah, I would definitely try to make a little noise. Although you also don't want to attract the descent <laughs> hillbillies. Yeah, whatever but those were. They were they were mountain folk. You know what? That was a lot like a Lovecraft um, story. Oh, was it? I can't remember the name of it, but it's uh, there's a whole thing wh- that takes place in the Alleghenies, maybe? Adirondacks? One, somewhere up there, um, where this family that was like kind of mountain folk uh-huh. came to inbreed and eventually moved underground. Ugh. It's one of his best ones. Man, he was... We should do a podcast on him. Okay. What a twisted mind. Yeah. Well, yeah. we did the Necronomicon, remember? Yeah, but let's just do one on his life. Okay. What made him tick? Let's do it. Um, oh, while go. we're at it, real quick, yeah, dude, I found a real, legitimate physics paper, or written by a legitimate physicist, that explains how certain events in uh, Lovecraft's *The Call of Cthulhu* uh-huh. can be explained away by quantum physics. Really? Yeah, it's specifically a uh, gravitational lensing. Huh? Yeah. To explain what Cthulhu is, or. No, like what happened to this guy who went mad and okay. described this crazy place that he went and, and stumbled upon in the South Pacific um, and then came back and wrote about it. They were like, well, actually, wait a minute. What he's talking about is a uh, quantum bubble. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. This, like, it's, it gets in, it, like, he works out math and formulas for explaining all this. Yeah. And that's, but the rest of it is really interesting. Wow. Yeah, I can't remember what it's called, but, uh, Probably look up the physics of the Call of Cthulhu, and I'm sure it'll bring it up. Yeah, but you can find it's a it. good one. That's awesome. So, uh, what are some of the big problems you're going to run into, Chuck? Aside from getting lost or running out of light, hypothermia, right? Always a concern when you're cold and wet. Um, like I said earlier, flooding of passages, which I was worried about the whole time. Yeah. Um, slipping, falling. I was slipping all over the place. It's going to happen in these muddy caves, and you know, you just, I just sort of slid and tried not to pick my face up off the, the right. rock. <laughs> right. But I definitely got bumps and bruises. I'll bet. And I was really sore the next day. It was like mountain climbing, except underground, and the mountain was slick and muddy. Yeah. That was basically kind of what it felt like, like rock climbing. Yeah. It was not what I thought it was going to be, once again. I <laughs> can't stress that enough. It's not, like, it's not a stroll. <laughs> I ate my bologna sandwich by 10 a.m. <laughs> yeah. It was pretty bad. Um, but super fun. And like I said, when you come out, man, that's so weird. Once you've been underground for that long, when you come out to the real world, everything is just like hyper colorful and bright and just weird. Huh. And it's like, man, there's a whole different world down there that most people don't know about. Nice. I highly encourage it. Just be careful. Yeah, I think that's good advice. Is there anything else in here? Um, always make sure that several people above ground know where you went, know where you're going, know when you expect to be back. Yeah. Um, and if somebody does get hurt, never leave that person alone. Right. A couple of people have to stay with them. A couple of people have to go topside. The people who go topside need to leave some of their supplies and light and stuff and water back with the people who are hanging out with the injured person. Yeah. They need to know exactly where the injured person is so they can tell other people who can come get them out. Right. Um, and uh, 
They also need to remember to take the car keys with them. Oh, cell phones. Yeah. Really you, kind of important. You don't want to get all the way out there and be like, oh, can you imagine? I left the keys in there. Yeah. Yeah, that would suck. Uh, and then, like you said, if you ever get lost, you don't want to panic. You want to stay put. You want to uh, rely on your plan, your backup plan, which was letting a bunch of people know that you were supposed to have been home two hours ago and you weren't. That's right. And uh, there are thousands of caves in the U.S., um, many of which are very explorable. Uh, just do your research beforehand. Go with someone that knows what they're doing. Yep. There are more extreme caves around the world that are very cool to look at, ones that you actually can skydive into. Or not skydive, but base jump into. Yeah. Boy, that I can't imagine skydiving into one. <laughs> I think I've seen um, I've seen a video of people base jumping into this. Sotano de los Colindrinas. Yeah, it was. I think Planet Earth, the Discovery Show, had that. Okay. Yeah, that's where I saw it. It was. It's way cool. Yeah. And then, like you talked about the the cenotes, mm-hmm. those are very cool too. Um, just be careful. Have we said that enough? I don't know. I don't think you can because, like I said, once you get there, you realize they're just a bunch of dummies, no matter what, that are ill-prepared. Locals that are like, yeah, I've been down here before. Yeah. Good luck, people. That's all I've got to say. Okay. Well, if you want to learn more about caving, you can type in spelunking in the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. S-P-E-L-U-N-K-I-N-G. It will bring up this article. Um, and uh, I said spelunking, which means, of course, it's time for listener mail. I'm going to call this Pakistani pizza. We did a pizza podcast, and we got lots and lots and lots of feedback on that. I knew that was going to be one of those. Yeah. Very ubiquitous food that people love to talk about. Um, and this is from, uh, and I'm probably going to butcher your name. Sorry, buddy. Uh, Nabiha Sied. Okay, and he said that he listened to the pizza cast and thought he would drop some four one one on pizza in Pakistan. He's originally from Orlando, but uh, currently lives in Karachi mm-hmm. for university. And he said, "Here, when you order a pizza, you don't really order toppings, but you order a specific flavor. Huh. Um, although, if you're at a pizza place, you can order specific toppings and build your own pizza, as Pizza Hut calls it. Though they are a little less cooperative when you order for delivery, apparently in Pakistan." <laughs> So he said, your pizza will most likely have some form of chicken on it. And then, of course, there's no ham uh, because it's a Muslim country. Yeah. Uh, pizza Hut alone serves chicken tikka, chicken curry, chicken fajita, Bihari chicken Afghan tikka, and the spicier fajita Sicilian as well as, vel, as, well as the veggie, shawarma, pepperoni, and a couple of other different beef flavors. Dude, I'll bet that's so good. I bet it chicken is. Chicken tikka pizza. <laughs> In Pakistan? Yeah. Uh, here's the kicker for me, guys. Not only do they offer their usual stuffed crust with the rope of cheese, they also serve beefy uh, Sikh kebab stuffed crust. Yes. Wow. Uh, Papa John's. Wait, offer- wait, wait. I want to just make sure everyone <laughs> understands what you just said. He said that they offer a, a, a pizza uh-huh. with a crust stuffed with kebab. With beef kebab. That sounds delightful. <laughs> it does. Um, Papa John's. Uh, offers a more traditional American pizza menu with their various pseudo-Italian names, including Chicken Florentine. Um, Domino's flavors in Pakistan are a little more mainstream American, uh, while they do serve uh, Chicken Tikka, as well as something called Golden Feast, or something to that effect, which, as far as I know, involves corn, pineapple, and probably chicken. 
Uh, along with the corporate giants, there are plenty of local chains, oddly generic-sounding names, including Pizza Place, Pizza Point, Pizzo, California Pizza, and the list goes on and on. Pizza. <laughs> Just Pizza. It's, it's a typo. Uh, unfortunately, my university and dorm are located on the outskirts of town, not in an ideal neighborhood, so these places usually don't deliver. Uh, but I suppose that's fine. I don't order pizza very much here. That's Pakistani pizza. It's kind of small and a bit too cakey and very super ready. Huh. But it fills you up, um, and you never leave hungry. I just had a fairly tasty contraption from Pizza Point around five hours ago for dinner. <laughs> I can still feel it in my throat. Lesson learned. <laughs> Do not go to bed in the morning, sleep until the evening, and order excess food. Anyways, love the show, uh, and lots of love. That is... Uh, Nabiha Sied. Thanks a lot, Nabiha. That's all. That's why E D. Yeah. Sied. Maybe just Sied. Or maybe just Sied. Sied. I bet it's Sied. We'll find out. Nabiha, right? Yep. Thanks a lot for writing in. Good luck with your studies. Um, And the pizza. Yeah. If you're in a foreign land and you're listening to us and you have some 411, uh, as Nabiha pointed out. Nabiha, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Man, good. Uh, we want to hear from it. You, uh, or we want to hear about it from you. You can tweet to us at uh, SYSK Podcast. You can join us on Facebook.com slash Stuff You Should Know. And you can send us an email to StuffPodcast at Discovery.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 